Welcome, everyone, to the week four review edition of Unexpected Points. I'm going to call it uh, the nation's leading analytics-based podcast slash YouTube streaming video here. I don't know if it is or not. There's probably not a technical counter, anyone keeping track of that. So why not just claim it? Why not just uh, stake my claim here? as I have with my adjusted scores, which are entering the zeitgeist here. I saw last night in the at halftime of the Chiefs game, one of a Chiefs, I don't know if it's a Chiefs beat writer, but uh, Nate Taylor, who works for Yahoo, sent something out about, you know, how Chiefs fans were feeling with the game, being the score, what it is. And someone replied, you know, feeling good, but waiting to see what PFF's adjusted halftime score is. So, boom. While, you know, maybe you can interpret that as me getting roasted on there, um, I'm going to interpret that as staying relevant. We're staying relevant out there, the content that comes forward on this podcast. All right. So the breakdown here will be go through all the different games from Sunday starting all the way out in – Lovely England, London, England in the morning going through Sunday night. The order that I'm going to go through these, I mean, it's somewhat chronological, but I'm going to start with the Sunday night game, then go somewhat chronological, highlighting the games that are most interesting, most impactful, especially for the playoff circumstances going forward. I will go through the adjusted scores, and I know this may be you know, ad nauseum sort of thing here for our listeners who have been along for the ride the entire time. But hopefully we got some new people joining us in this experience, in this fully analytical experience here. So the adjusted scores rely a little bit more heavily on team success rates. They'll downweight things like special teams plays that are a little bit flukier, turnovers that can be extremely impactful and fluky like fumble recoveries. And then other things, penalties, things that come into play where, you know, they matter. So I'm not getting rid of them. I'm not throwing them out, but we're going to try to emphasize the things that we expect to be the most consistent going forward. So one way to think about it would be is you replayed this game over and over again, and the underlying fundamental talent of the game that was displayed, the level of play that was displayed throughout the game did not change. This is what you'd expect on average to be the score in this particular game, as opposed to what the actual score was. Uh, Also going to be doing something a little bit new here for this one, which is going through and putting together some, some clips on here, some clips that people can end up seeing for uh, the different games. Hopefully we don't get demonetized on this one since these clips that I'm going to lead off with on here uh, were all sent out by the NFL's very own Twitter account. So we should be good to go here. All right, let's get into everything here. We don't want to stammer on and talk about forever. We're going to start with the Sunday night football game, the GOAT, Tom Brady versus maybe someday the GOAT, uh, Patrick Mahomes. From the two, Mahomes escaping on the move. Mahomes stops, spins, flips it forward for the touchdown to Edward Hilaire. Mahomes straddled the line of scrimmage, flipped it to Edwards Hilaire for the score. Okay, perhaps one of the most Mahomesian type of plays there that we saw in this game to give them one of their early touchdowns. Uh, Mahomes scrambled around, 
flipped it forward, put a nice spin move. The, the, his ability to make people miss, and I think it was Devin White in this circumstance, who people know, Devin White, one of the most athletic linebackers in the NFL, a great blitzing linebacker. This wasn't on a blitz, but it was around the outside. He was attacking and trying to uh, go go after Mahomes here. And I think what, what really makes him special, and this is true of you know some other quarterbacks too. I'm not going to try to you know say Patrick Mahomes. This has been a very Patrick Mahomes pro podcast, though, uh, as people who have listened to it can attest to, despite the fact that the Chiefs are not, we're not happy with me about the adjusted scores things. I'm still very pro Patrick Mahomes here. And it's really just the ability to process so many things, the feel to be able to make defenders miss. I mean, he's rarely getting hit really hard, even though he has extremely, again, athletic athletes attempting to tackle him. All of that while still having the cognizance to to look downfield, to know where uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is and be able to assess the fact that he could just flip it forward to him on that play. Amazing play by Mahomes and a big victory for the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, let's get to the particulars of this game. The Chiefs were two-point underdogs. Uh, Tampa Bay was favored by a couple of points. But again, when we're between the threes, you know, it doesn't matter a whole lot there. Uh, they end up winning the game 41-31 to with a late touchdown for Tampa Bay. Uh, narrowing the lead to 10, making it look a little bit better. Although my adjusted scores have it as 37-28. So fairly close. Now, I think part of this is because Tampa Bay, they went all out pass right here in this game. This is a this is a big takeaway from this game, is the fact that the Bucks had been under expectation passing the ball. After last season, Tom Brady led the NFL in passing attempts, led the NFL in passing yards. They were the most pass-happy team in the NFL when you look at relative to expectation. This year, close games, receivers missing, offensive line having some problems, so they weren't passing the ball a whole lot. Uh, They were way over expectation in this, and they were very, very good at doing it. Now, they were awful running the ball, but they didn't run the ball that much. They ran the ball uh, six times for three yards in this game, but it didn't matter because, again, they did not do it much. It didn't matter. Lenny, Lenny Fournette, playoff Lenny. Uh, three carries, negative three yards in this game. Didn't matter a whole lot because they were in the 90th percentile passing the ball. And while this game felt completely in control for Kansas City the entire time, a lot of that was based on a couple of early plays, which were highly impactful, which allowed them to take a lead. And then they just never took their foot off of the gas pedal. They never allowed Tampa Bay to get back in it. So if anything from this game, Tampa Bay's success passing the ball Despite the fact that everyone knew they were going to throw the ball, despite the fact that the Chiefs defense have been pretty good versus the pass so far, I think that's a like a positive takeaway for the Bucs uh, playing in an awful division. So it doesn't really matter whether they're winning these games or not. I mean, it matters in their chances of winning the conference, but not so much for making the playoffs. Um, I think in some ways with the full complement of receivers back for Brady, the offense online blocking pretty well, all that sort of stuff is actually a pretty big positive for this team going forward. So let's talk about these impactful plays that put Kansas city in the driver's seat. And this just kind of gives you an idea again, when I'm adjusting these scores, how I'm going to adjust down some of these plays, because you think of like the, the big clip that I had at the beginning of Mahomes and his touchdown being the big play, other touchdowns being the big, most impactful plays In actuality plays where like the Rashad white fumble, on the opening kickoff ends up being hugely impactful. 
uh, more than six expected points flip on that way. And the reason is you're going from a first and 10 for the offense. They have expected points flipping it all the way to first and 10 for the other offense. Those are some of the most impactful plays you can have. Again, first and 10 to first and 10. There was two of those in this circumstance, two turnovers that happened here where the Brady strip sack, which came immediately after there was a Clyde Edwards Hilaire, I guess we call it a drop. It wasn't, that was pretty easy catch, honestly, that he dropped on fourth and one. Then the very next play, again, these are hugely impactful plays in momentum and in win probability. Well, actually momentum doesn't exist. I got to get back there, but in win probability gained here, that was a negative 5.8 expected points. We're talking about 12-ish points on those two plays, a swing of 12 points on two plays. And that's something, while I'm not going to throw it out, I am going to discount it somewhat in my numbers. Talking about the win probability on this thing, what happened here. So when Clyde Edwards-Hilaire dropped the ball, that was the third most impactful, dropped the fourth and one. That was the third most impactful play in the game. The win probability at that time for the Bucks was only 15% before the play. It jumped all the way up to 24%. But then, again, very next play, it went from 24% down to 11% with the strip sack. The most impactful play of the game in terms of win probability. Um, again, I'll, 90% of six, uh, pass rate for the Bucks, 17% over ex- expectation. The Chiefs also 11% over expectation, but only 55% because they're just not expected to pass the ball that much with this much of a lead in this game. I mean, eye-popping numbers for Brady here were 385 yards. He actually had slightly better expected points added per play efficiency than Mahomes. And the grade as of now, again, these are... These are not finalized grades. The finalized grades will come out in uh, the middle of the day here. I'm doing this in the morning. It's roughly equivalent. So I'm sure Chiefs fans are going to love the fact that Brady had higher efficiency in this game by EPA per play and then also had about the same grade in this game. Sure, no one will be upset about that. But the Mahomes turnover play, even though it wasn't that impactful in the game, the interception that he threw was ugly and it hurts. Those turnover replays really hurt the numbers. Okay, Any concerns for Kansas City after this? I think this is what we have to be looking at going forward. Let's look at the playoff picture. we got to get beyond this game for two of the top five teams. I would put them in the NFL. Um, Concern is a little bit what I mentioned as the flip side for the positives for the Bucs here is the fact that Brady was able to play so well, despite the fact that everyone on the planet knew that he was throwing the ball for most of this game. Only a 10% quick pressure rate, which is what I like to check here of 2.5 seconds or Less there, so not great there. And again, we'll discount this somewhat from the fact that the Chiefs had about a 90% win probability by halftime and were better than 95% at the end of the third quarter. So how they're playing in the second half wasn't exactly the most predictive going forward. Uh, I downweight that a bit as far as their, what we're going to look at going forward. Now, where do our power rankings have it? This is a combination of some of the stuff that I'm looking at so far this this season and where our numbers have them for PFF. Again, Tampa Bay still 87% chance to make the playoffs. Kansas, despite the fact that they are now 2-2, two and two, losing the last two games because uh, of the weakness in their division. Kansas City, 86% chance to make the playoffs. So about the same, a lot more strength in their division and conference here. Uh, 67% chance to win the division for Kansas City, and a 20% chance to win 
the conference championship and get all the way to to the Super Bowl, 11% chance. So they're kind of equivalent, these two teams here, despite the fact that uh, Mahomes and the Chiefs won this game handily and have a better record. One other thing here, Tampa Bay, easiest remaining schedule in the NFL going forward after having the second hardest schedule year to date for this team. So defense, they got torn up in this one, but they've been playing well this year. You know, Mahomes will do that to you sometimes. And the offense coming back for Tampa Bay. In some ways, this loss is showed a lot of positive signs for the Bucs. So I'm probably going to be higher than the market on the Bucs after a game like this going forward. But we'll see how everyone is looking at both teams for the rest of the season. Okay, wrapped up there. Let's go to merry old England, where the Saints are officially the home team against the Minnesota Vikings. Can nail this sucker. Good snap. Good hold. Let's his kick on the way. Oh. And it is off the uprights. Yes, the double doink is back, London style here. The New Orleans Saints end up defeating the Minnesota Vikings 28-25. Lutz misses the 61-yard field goal after hitting a 60-yard field goal the previous possession um, to tie the game. This would have tied it. It would have sent it to overtime. And my numbers, and I think this might be a little bit overstated here, my adjusted score on this one, but it's 33-22 to For the Saints, and that's a high number. The 33, I think, is a little bit overestimated there for the Saints. It's a high number, especially for the fact that they struggled a bit offensively in the first half. So let's go through the numbers as to why my adjusted score has the Saints being a little bit better and why fundamentally they may have been better than we suspect in this particular game. Well, they averaged 5.9 yards per play versus 5.1 for the Minnesota Vikings. They had a 96th percentile success rate versus only 21st for the Vikings. There were a lot of big plays for the Vikings that ended up pushing up their scoring. And maybe there will always be limited upside when it comes to success rate versus efficiency in an offense led by Andy Dalton. But it was there. They were successful in this particular game. Uh, They had trouble converting third downs, and that was a huge difference in this game, whereas Minnesota got some big third down conversions, which added significantly to their efficiency. But again, they were not being consistently efficient on first and second down, but they made these third down conversions. They converted a third and 15, third and 10, two third and eights, and a third of seven. Those are some big ones that they converted there that contributed mightily to the final score. Turnovers, also huge, huge in this game, similar somewhat to what we saw in Tampa Bay and Kansas City. The two most impactful plays of the game was a punt return fumble, 5.3 EPA for the Saints fumbled that and gave it away to the Vikings. And then Dalton strip sack on first and 10, 4.8. Again, we're talking about 10-ish expected points lost on those two plays. There was also... The third most impactful play of the game. I thought it was definitely a DPI on on Lattimore versus Thielen, but it was a little bit somewhat questionable. 4.3 expected points changed hands on this one. So if you saw the play, there was some contact between Lattimore and Thielen. Lattimore looked back but didn't fully look back. Thielen reached in and kind of grabbed his face mask a little bit. But I think that the initial defensive penalty did happen before that. 
But what also made it look a little bit questionable is the fact that the safety did get over and break up the play, which whether that would have happened or not without the DPI, we don't really know. The thing is for these DPIs and Mike Pereira, who was the, you know, efficient guy that they were going to, to the rules, rules expert that they were talking to during this game, when they went to, went to him on this one, he made the case for what I've been making the case for, for a while here, which is let's just switch to the college rule of 15 yards, a maximum of 15 yards on these plays, because so often these huge plays are happening. And I know that the flip side of that argument is to say, well, you know, defenders will be purposefully committing a penalty on a long, what would be a long play that may happen sometimes, but plays like this are happening much more often where let's face it. If there was no defensive pass interference on this play, if, um, Lattimore hadn't interfered with them. The coverage is so tight on a lot of these plays. That's how they get there to have the DPI in the first place. There's an extra defender coming over. I mean, I think it would be extremely aggressive to say that Thielen would have even had a 50% chance of catching this ball in most circumstances, probably more like a 30% chance for catching the ball, but we're giving them full credit for a catch when there was DPI on this. Let's change it. Let's give them the 15 yards. Let's lower the impact of some of these calls. Because, again, this was the third most impactful play of this game. And it was not nearly the third best play made by that offense, made by the offense there, just tossing it up down down the field into what ended up being double coverage in this game. Uh, another kind of fluky-ish sort of play, although we don't want to go too far on this, was the fact that Alexander Madison – Third and goal from the 15, you catch a screen and you take it in for a score. You know, it doesn't happen a lot. Uh, another play that was right up there being the most impactful of the game and not necessarily something you should expect to happen every game. I thought the Saints game plan was a little bit weird on this one. I thought we'd see a lot more Taysom Hill. He didn't take his first snap at quarterback until the second quarter, which surprised me. Uh, I guess we got to talk Justin Jefferson. He was the thing in this game. 10 catches, 147 yards and a touchdown, consistently roasting uh Marshawn Lattimore which I'm sure Mike Evans if he was watching this on TV was enjoying greatly during this game and going forward though let's talk about some of the going forward stuff in this one because Dalton had a decent game he had an 80 grade what would the if they won this game somehow I think would be a much more interesting decision for Jameis versus Dalton going forward I think they'll turn back to Jameis but you never know what will end up happening here. Uh, there was a strip sack on Dalton, but other than that, you know, he's not, wasn't exactly imperiling them with how he was playing in this particular game. And if we go to what this means standing wise, and this is a big one for these two teams that are middle-ish of the pack, as far as their chances here, this raises the Vikings playoff probability up to 70%. It gives them about a 40% chance to win the division. So they are looking pretty good right now. 38% chance to win the division versus 57% for Green Bay. And as of now, of course, they won that first game against Green Bay. So that matchup, again, they have later on this season will be absolutely huge. It's bad for the Saints, though. Losing this game here after uh, losing the game, losing some other games this, this season, 13% chance to make the playoffs now. Again, I think they'll go with with back to Jameis on here, but cannot be certain of anything going forward. All right, let's get to the game of the morning, the game that most of us saw here, 
a battle of 2018 stud quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson versus Josh Allen, when Buffalo came in to Baltimore and snuck away with the victory. Tyler Bass. The kick is good, and it's a game winner. The Bills complete the comeback, and they knock off the Ravens. So the Bills come back 23-20, as you as you heard there, the last second field goal from Tyler Bass. A lot to discuss with this one in terms of strategy, and we'll get to all that eventually. But the big picture stuff here is that the Bills were down 20-3 to and then came back to win. 20 straight points, 23-20. That's a painful, painful loss for Baltimore, especially when we talk about coming off of a loss to, well, not coming off of, but two weeks ago, a loss to the Miami Dolphins in a game that should have been very, very winnable there also. In fact, in this one, the Bills were three-and-a-half-point favorites, in, even though it was in Baltimore. It, it moved up to three-and-a-half, which is a big half point from being at three. The, the adjusted scores that I have on this one have Baltimore being slightly better, 27-25. But it's one of those ones that could have flipped either direction on this one. Why is Baltimore a little bit better? Well, you know, they had about the same success rate and efficiency in the 70th percentile for success rate, 50th percentile for efficiency. The efficiency was a little bit down for both teams because they had interceptions. Uh, Each one of them had an interception that was not graded a turnover-worthy play in this game. But the penalties were pretty big against Baltimore on the offense in particular. Uh, 979 penalties for 70 yards stalled out some drives in the second half. Uh, Tyler Lindebaum, the, the rookie had a holding call, a couple false starts. It was another holding call in this game that ended up pushing them back. And that ended up hurting them quite a bit here. Uh, big games from Jackson and Allen when it came to rushing, both led the team in rushing yards was over 70 yards. Not the greatest grading game though, for either guy. Um, especially for Jackson, because we rate him with the turnover of the play on, on something that actually ended up being a catch. And we rate him with another turnover of the play on the fourth down later in the game. Uh, let's get right to the decisions. There was, a, there was a controversy at the end where Marcus Peters was yelling at John Harbaugh. I don't think it was about the fourth and two decision. I think it was about the decision to try and let them score at the end, which didn't end up working out. But let's discuss both of these because these are the two big kind of nerdy decisions of the game. So let me set the scene here first, and then I'll go to Harbaugh's explanation of of what happened on the fourth and two. So it was fourth and two, the Buffalo two-yard line. There was four minutes and 15 seconds left. Uh, Ravens had two timeouts. The Bills had three timeouts just to give you all the different parameters here. They decided to go for it. According to the Ben Baldwin bot, it was a 2.1 win probability game going forward in this circumstance. And that's assuming that Baltimore had a 47% success chance of of converting. 47% chance of converting this. I think they're higher. Fourth and two uh, with Lamar Jackson is probably more in the 50s. Although there were some weather conditions there, I still think it's more in the 50s. And in fact, um, you know, the, the pass was open. Jackson was just late getting there. Ended up being the interception from Jordan Poyer on that play, targeting Devin Duvernay in the back of the end zone. And the 
let's hear Harbaugh's explanation for why they did it here. And then I'll walk through what he has right, maybe nitpick a little bit about what he has wrong and address some of the concerns that people are going to talk about after this game when a decision fails, no matter what, uh, on fourth down. Well, I, I felt like it gave us the best chance to win the game because seven, the worst that happens is if they go down the field and score, and I think we'll get them stopped. But if they go down the field and score a touchdown, the worst thing that can happen is that you're in overtime. But you kick a field goal there, now it's not a three-down game anymore. It's a four-down game. You're, you're putting them out there. You're putting your defense at a disadvantage because they've got four downs to convert all the way down the field and a chance to, again, score seven, and then you, you lose the game on a touchdown. So then the worst thing, the other thing, you think you're going to get the ball at the two-yard line. So I'm very confident in their defense. Defense's ability to stop them down there with the ball on the two-yard line. So we got them backed up. If we don't get it, didn't turn out that way, unfortunately, and we lost the game. So hindsight, you could take the points. But if you look at it analytically, I understand why we did it. Yeah, so, I mean, I agree with pretty much everything that Harbaugh says here. It just ended up being almost a worst-case type of scenario on that type of play. I mean, I guess a worst-case scenario would be some sort of turnover that, you know, like a fumble or pick six or something like that would be the worst case scenario on that play. But one of the factors that's tied into going for it on the two yard line is like Harbaugh said, you're going to pin them back if you fail. Now it was an interception in the end zone. So it's a touchback. So they got to bring it back out, which is hugely significant um, because it would have been a tie ball game. So you have a tie game where you can run out most you can you can you know at least use up the timeouts for your opponent if Buffalo got the ball let's say at the two yard line after a failed conversion they're probably going to run the ball at least once in that circumstance. Um, although Buffalo has some you know they got some cojones they might they they might not have uh, you know turtled too much on that play but they're probably going to run the ball at least once try to burn some of the Ravens timeouts and would have been much more difficult to go down the field at that point. So that was a you know, bad case scenario that doesn't happen that often that you end up turning the ball over in the end zone on that type of play. So that's number one. And I think that the point that he made, and this is the biggest point that some people may not understand on why the the numbers, even though you think, oh, this is a coin flip, you know, whether or not you're going to make it. So why do it on this sort of play? Well, if you kick the field goal, like he's saying, you kick the field goal in this circumstance, you're putting Buffalo in a situation where they have to, to score basically on the next possession you know they had three timeouts so maybe they could have punted it and tried to you know play defense call timeouts get it back again but then they'd be pinned back in again basically they would have been approaching it in a way where they have to score now they did end up scoring anyway but you would have put them in even a more enhanced offensive situation because they would have been pressing more and they would have gotten that fourth down they would have gone for on a fourth down no matter what. So you're raising their probability of converting any series of downs significantly. You're going from four to three. I mean, that's a 33% increase in the number of attempts that you have to convert a particular series of downs. That's a huge factor giving that offense more juice to eventually go, go down and either get a field goal or a touchdown and so on and so forth. Now, the one thing I've saw some people nitpick on, I think this is really nitpicking, was the fact that they say, oh, if, if we, he said if we scored the touchdown, then the worst case scenario is we go to overtime. People said, well, Buffalo could drive all the way down and then go for two and then win in regulation. Yeah, they could, but that's not even necessarily a, a good move for Buffalo as the favored team 
as the team that would be more likely to win in overtime. Unless it's you know the last play of the game, maybe they want to flip a coin and say, we'll do that versus going to overtime. But it wouldn't be like a, an enhancement for them offensively in here. So this was the right decision, whether you want to claim it or not. And I do think even the hindsight in this, the results-based hindsight, is a little bit weird to me in this circumstance because Buffalo drove right down the field. I mean, it wasn't like if they would have kicked the field goal, they would have been able to stop Buffalo anyway. We have evidence of that. We have strong evidence of that in this particular game. The difference being that they would have had to have gotten the ball in the end zone, which we don't know whether that would have happened or not. And that goes to the second decision I think we can talk about in this game. That's interesting to talk about in this game. And I think this is why Marcus Peters was yelling at Harbaugh late in the game. This would be my, my assumption for why it was happening here. Um, again, set the scene here, 143 left in the game after the, uh, two minute warning, one timeout left for the Ravens here. And what the Ravens did on this play here is they tried to let them score. Um, and they're trying to score, I think it was from the 11 yard line. So they basically said, we're going to try to let you score here with 143 left. And rather than use our timeout, you run all the clock all the way down, you kneel it again, you run the clock all the way down. And if they don't get that first down, but they did get a first down, they converted the first down, which allowed them to run it all the way down to zero. But if they don't get the first down, then if you just straight up play defense to stop them here, uh, the best case scenario there still would have been 23 seconds around 25-ish sort of seconds left. The Ravens would have had the ball with 25 seconds left if they if they didn't allow them to, you know, try to get them to score, which they converted the first down. So that would have been the difference. And, and I think maybe Peters was upset about that because it backfired on them, allowing them, trying to allow them to score. Buffalo was too smart to do that. They went down at about the two-yard line. Uh, Josh Allen sneaked it a little bit to convert the first down, which then allowed them just to kneel out and kick the last second field goal there. So it backfired. I don't think it was a bad play um, to allow them to score because 23 seconds left isn't a ton of time with no timeouts to potentially make that play on the other side. But I could see how that one is a little bit more coin flippish. I could see why defense may be upset about it. And in some ways, it was one of those plays where they just happened to get really, really close and they happen to have that first down opportunity at the one yard line where maybe in hindsight, if you really think about it, actually not even hindsight, maybe in foresight, if you think about it, maybe it wasn't the best play to let them get that close because of the fact that they could convert the first down and then drive it all the way down at the end. But again, they would have had a very small chance of winning anyway, even if that happened. All right, let's get into the numbers here. Buffalo, number one team, has been the number one team all season long by my numbers, by PFF's numbers here. No matter, even when they're losing, like games they lost in Miami, they were still seen as being very impressive here. 93% chance to make the playoffs. They're pretty much in. 70% chance to win the division. I think they're pretty much in there, uh, despite the fact that the Dolphins have been playing well and still have the highest Super Bowl and conference championship odds so far. Let's get to Baltimore. Uh, A little bit more squirrely. For Baltimore here, again, two and two now, a difficult division. 
48% chance to make the playoffs. That's it for a Baltimore team that's been playing really well for Lamar Jackson, who's been playing like an MVP candidate, at least in the first half of games. I mean, the first half of the Miami game and the first half of this uh, Buffalo game combined that into one game is probably the best game of the season. Um, But they're down under 30% now chance to win the division uh, with Cleveland, believe it or not, with a slightly higher chance uh, to win the division here, although roughly the same. And then you go down to uh, the Bengals and they even have even a higher chance to, to win the division. So it's basically split almost 33% apiece between those three teams. You know, difficult to swallow a couple of these losses for Baltimore, but we will see going forward. I think the real question here is defensively, they continue to have some issues here. And then offensively, you might say, oh, they got the running game fixed here, but still, Jackson led the team in rushing, and J.K. Dobbins had J.K. Dobbins had okay numbers from the fact that he had three touchdowns in this game, uh, but 41 yards on 13 carries, not great. And you know, despite what people think, a running back is not going to fix your blocking and your running issues there, even if it is a highly talented running back like J.K. Dobbins. All right, let's get to our next game when the Jacksonville Jaguars, the three and one Jacksonville, I mean, the two and one, excuse me, Jacksonville Jaguars came in to face the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. They're going to do that zone read. Desperately trying to keep him out of the end zone. Sanders, and he bangs it in. Sanders from five yards out. So, Miles Sanders, hope you had him in your fantasy lineup in this game. 27 rushing attempts, 134 yards, two touchdowns, plus two catches for 22 yards. Receiving, the Philadelphia Eagles remain undefeated, the only undefeated team in the NFL at 4-0. They were six-and-a-half-point favorites against a surprisingly plucky, uh, you could say, Jacksonville Jaguars team. People were very, people were getting excited about the Jaguars here, and it wasn't all negative for, for them in this particular game. Uh, Philly wins 29-21, and the adjusted scores have them at 26-16, to 16, so a little bit wider than that, but not a super dominant victory, but a good victory there, a 10-point victory. I think what's probably underplayed is that this was a sloppy offensive game for both teams. Their success rate percentiles were only in the 50th, 60th percentile. Nothing great there. Uh, but the EPA per play was much lower for the um, was much lower for the Jags than it was for the Eagles because of the turnovers. And Jacksonville started off this game up 14-0. They got a pick six on a tipped ball that we still gave it as a turnover-worthy play because I mean, it's worst case scenario. The ball gets tipped, goes up in the air, and and scores. But Jalen Hurts was definitely late on the throw to Zach Paschal, and that was taken in, so that started off. Then when the Jags got the ball again, um, they went marched down, and they they scored a a touchdown. And on this one, it's a really nice design for Jamal Agnew, who had two touchdowns in this game, uh, where he came in motion and then went back out against man coverage and Lawrence found him for the touchdown. So the Jags are probably feeling pretty good at that point. They're up 14-0. The next drive after this, and I don't think the Eagles ever panicked offensively, which is good for Hurts, but at the same time, the defense you know, bailed them out the rest of the game as far as really locking things down. Because even down 14-0, the Eagles failed 
on fourth and third the next possession. Uh, but that's kind of when everything starts falling apart for, for the Jags. Uh, Lawrence had Agnew again for what could have been a 40-yard touchdown, but he missed the pass after that failed possession. So, again, it could have been 21-0 right at that point. Uh, they go forward on fourth and three. The ball slips out of his hand, scrambling. That's the first of Lawrence's four fumbles in this game. And then you really see the value of Jalen Hurts on the next drive and a couple of times during this game because they, they needed to score. Okay, they were down 14-0. They hadn't done anything here. A.J. Brown got a touchdown, but it was called back on an offensive pass interference from Dallas Goddard. And eventually, it's third and goal from the 16-yard line. Not a great position for any team to be in. But with Jalen Hurts, he scrambles it, gets all the way down to about the three, three-and-a-half-yard line, and then they go for it on fourth down. And then he scrambles again, uh, kind of dodges one defender, goes through another, goes through another, right? Not many guys can do that at quarterback. I mean, Josh Allen could do it. But not many guys can do it at quarterback and then scores the touchdown there. Basically all Jalen Hurts on that particular play right there. When it comes to Trevor Lawrence, this is definitely a step back for him. I mean, you're not always going to lose all four fumbles playing in the rain. Uh, you also had an ugly pick in this game where he got a little bit fooled on pressure and then thought he had an open receiver, but James Bradbury came away with a pick here. Uh, 26.7 grade in this game, which was the worst of Lawrence's career. Again, subject to review. Negative uh, 0.5 EPA per play. That's just an awful number there. Kind of looked like it was pressing. Uh, saw some misses in this game, similar to week one. And it was just, you know, week one. And then now here in week four, had some pressure against him. Uh, driven by the defense, a little bit of a lack of awareness on some of these fumbles, two strip sacks for Hassan Reddick, a little bit of lack of awareness on both of those, really a big lack of awareness on one of those, uh, where he needs to, you know, be able to, to see the, the rush coming and put the ball away a little bit there. And when he's faced pressure and when the team has been in situations where they're not, you know, completely dominating and again, week two, you know, Colts didn't score a point. They won 38 to 10. So the Chargers were not scoring in week three. Lawrence has, has been shaky very early, very, very early to anoint him as being the guy he is who he thought he was coming into the league at this point. Maybe because of the rain, you can discount some of the results in this particular game. Uh, Travis Etienne outsnapped James Robinson for fantasy heads who were paying attention to that, 24 to 21. They both had eight carries and Hurts. He did these things where, again, he kept them in the game. He pressed forward on plays like the scramble, but his numbers were not fantastic. You know, his grade in the seventies is decent. 200 passing yards is okay. Um, but he did have 38 rushing yards and a touchdown on the ground. I mentioned that the turnover worthy play for the pick six that was tipped and his EPA per play, because that was such a hugely impactful game. The most impactful play of the game was actually negative 0.2. So not too good from an efficiency standpoint. Uh, there's really interesting fourth down decision that I'll discuss here. People aren't going to talk about it again. The results based people are not going to really talk about it, but I thought it was interesting. I mean, Jake Elliott was a little bit banged up. So this probably played into it for Nick Sirianni, but Philadelphia had the ball fourth and three at the Jacksonville 21 yard line up by eight. So technically one score game. It was a toss up according to the numbers and they decided to go for it. Jalen Hurts threw it to uh, A.J. Brown, you know, it's pretty close to a catch. They were a huge favorite to win the game no matter what. But rather than kicking 
the field goal there again, two minutes left in the game, no timeouts for the other, for the other side on defense. It ends the game. If you convert, of course, but rather than kicking a field goal there, which wouldn't have been, you know, would have been a 38, 39 yard field goal. Even with uh, the kicker hurting, he could probably make that one a little bit of an interesting decision to say the least, not something you would see almost any head coach in the league do unless Elliott's situation had got a lot worse after having his plant leg hit earlier in the game. Uh, I think for the, the Jaguars, what you can take away from this game if you're a Jaguar fan is good, pretty good defense. Pretty good defensive effort on this one, despite the fact that you're offensively, Trevor Lawrence was giving away the ball over and over and over again against a good dual threat type of offense. That Jags defense is, you know, it's no joke. It, it's legit. And that could carry them because I still think Lawrence is going to be up or down up and down the rest of the season. Eagles, 90% chance to make the playoffs, 66% chance to win the division, which is kind of surprising, but these Cowboys keep on winning games. We'll talk about them a little bit later as uh, you know, Cooper Rush is unstoppable here for the Cowboys. And then the Jags, I probably have them a bit underrated with a 43% chance to make the playoffs and 28% chance to win the division because of the you know, the, the weakness in the rest of the division. But underlying team strength, I still don't have it as being that high for this team. And defense is a little bit less predictable going forward and eh, probably a little bit lower on Trevor Lawrence than what some other people are going forward. Okay, we had a shootout in Detroit uh, where Gino, MVP Gino, perhaps, came to Detroit for one of the highest scoring games that we've seen in NFL history. One of the Lions. Penny, can he do it one more time? Yes, he can! It seems like when the Seahawks needed it the most, they gave it to him and he ran through the Lions. You can see Pete Carroll all fired up on the sideline, and that's the way he would prefer. Yes, there's nothing better for Pete Carroll than a third and five Rashad Penny conversion with less than a minute left allowing them to run out the clock and win the game as three and a half point underdogs in Detroit, 48 to 45, 93 total points in this game. Let's just go over everything here. Uh, over a thousand combined yards for the two teams in this game, 93 points tied for 15th highest total ever. The two teams have scored within regulation. There is one overtime game that gets above them. Um, Jared Goff has now been part of three different games in the top 15 scoring of all time. He was part of the Rams for two of them, 54 to 51. They beat the chiefs in 2018 in that classic, classic game, third most highest scoring game of all time. And then 55 to 40, the Rams beat the bucks in 2019, which was number 12 tied for number 12, highest scoring game of all time. So Jared Goff equals points now he helped get some points with a pick six a bad pick six in this game but he also equals points the other direction uh probably gotta talk about Rashad Penny even though I think Geno Smith is a bigger story here but Rashad Penny 17 carries 151 yards two touchdowns we saw them salt away the game there he has some ridiculous I think it's ridiculous plays I mean two 35 plus yard touchdown runs for Seattle in this one both of them on third down. One of them was on third and 15. They, they, they had a big play there. So just tons of outlier plays in both directions, which you'd expect on this high scoring of a game. We had an 80-yard catch from TJ Hawkinson. We had a 50-plus yard touchdown from Jamal Williams. 
And the the adjusted score, though, in this one was heavily towards the Seattle Seahawks, 46 to 27. The reason being is their success rate was off of the charts. It was almost 100th percentile success rate. It was a 99.6 percentile success rate in this game. Um, not only were they rushing the ball so well, but Geno Smith, 320 yards, two touchdowns, and another 49 yards rushing. He was converting, scrambling, rushing TD for him. Also, 92 passing grade, second best passing grade of the season, subject to review, behind Jalen Hurts. 0.7 EPA per play for Geno Smith in this game, which is the best number so far this season. Geno Smith, get him up in your top 10 quarterback rankings. No. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to go that far, but for this, for how he's played so far this season, I think it's justifiable to put him uh, to put him strictly based on how he has played so far this season. Um, other notable stuff here: another huge game for DK Metcalf, seven for one forty nine. Hawkinson, Chalkinson in DFS because I think a lot of people were playing him with all of the injuries for the Detroit Lions. Eight catches, one hundred and seventy nine yards. Again, an eighty yard catch, which from a guy who runs like a four seven. Um, eight catches, 179 yards, and two touchdowns. Now, after all this, Seattle with a couple of victories. They're two and two. Detroit is at one and three. Still, we only give Seattle a 12% chance to make the playoffs, but, you know, that's not nothing. And Detroit down to 9%. I mean, major issues for Detroit defensively. I mean, Seattle's defense stinks too, but again, the underlying numbers were a little bit better for Seattle's defense in this one. And the adjusted score, which again is going to downweight outlier plays, the adjusted score for Seattle was 46 points in this game. That shows you how bad this Detroit's defense was. By far the worst kind of fundamental defensive performance that we've seen uh, from anyone. And it's kind of weird because I like Aaron Glenn a lot, the defensive coordinator there for the Lions. We'll see how... I don't know if his, his seat's going to be hot, but it might be a little bit warmish in this in this game um, after having this sort of issue in this game. And again, multiple games of every every week, the Detroit opponent is putting up 30 plus points, which is going to make things a little bit difficult for them going forward, no matter how well Jared Goff may be playing. OK, before we get to the rest of the games today, let's talk DraftKings. NFL action's in full swing with DraftKings, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any team and get $200 in free bets if they do. Plus, stepped-up same-game parlays, 100% boost of the winnings, bigger payouts than ever. Why bet on football anywhere else? You can use these stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code PFF, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And another sponsor of the Unexpected Points podcast is Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com. 
All right, let's get to a battle of a near rookie in Zach Wilson. And then finally, the appearance of the first rookie quarterback taken in this 2022 draft, Kenny Pickett, when the Jets went to Pittsburgh. Double reverse, the pass to the end zone, caught by Wilson from Braxton Berrios. There we go. We had the 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 Jets special here. The Philly special play played out. Braxton Berrios to his best buddy, Zach Wilson, for the touchdown. What I'll say about this is the gritty that we saw from Wilson afterwards. The gritty is officially dead. You know how I know the gritty is officially dead? Um, unbeknownst to me, everyone, I guess all the kiddies, all the kids are doing it in school. And my seven-year-old, when we went to his soccer match, let's be technical here, soccer game, soccer match, uh, a couple weeks ago, he he actually scored the first three goals of the game. I know, I, I got a little, a little sorry, I got to do a little dad moment here. But the first goal that he scored, he started doing this thing out on the field. And I was like, what is he doing? Because it looked like he was skipping. But then I realized that he was doing the gritty. <laughs> Seven-year-old was doing the gritty after when he was after he was scoring the goals in these matches, and I was like, "Okay, this is officially dead." This is like when your seven-year-old started doing dabbing, you know, started dabbing. Then that was officially dead. The gritty is officially dead. Zach Wilson doing it also. Let's face it, he he's kind of makes it a little bit dead when quarterbacks quarterbacks are doing the gritty. It's kind of dead. So let's put it out here. Uh, okay, but let's get to the particulars for this game here. The Steelers were three-point favorites. The Jets win 24-20. A late Brees Hall touchdown put them over the top. The Steelers, though, pretty significantly, according to my numbers, the better fundamental team in this game. Maybe I could get Jets fans. Jets fans, I'll go after them this week. They'll be they'll be my new hated fan base. They already hate nerds. They already hate PFF because we uh, critiqued the Elijah Vera Tucker pick and the Brees Hall pick. Oh, and Brees Hall had a good game, too. Oh, my God. This is – okay. Everyone, mark it on your calendars um, later today. Maybe tomorrow. Should I wait for tomorrow? No, I'll do it. I'll probably do it later today. Later today, I'll send out some inflammatory, although, you know, not that inflammatory, tweet about how the Jets were so much worse in this game. And uh, people are just going to go nuts because they're finally happy about something for, for the Jets here. And I'm sure it'll get shared everywhere. And I'll get dunked on 100 – you know, 500 times, but then – Hopefully get, you know, 500 new followers. That's what we're in the game for here. Uh, it's all about that engagement. So anyway, the Steelers 32 to 16 is what the adjusted score is. That's a big, that's a big difference there. And again, that's why the Jets fans will hate me. Uh, better success rate. It was only a 20th percentile success rate for the Jets. And Wilson had four turnover worthy plays in this game. Only one of them ended up being an actual turnover. And it was pretty ugly too. Near the end of the half, uh, he threw it up. Cam Sutton, I mean, he had a good, nice move peeling off of his coverage and then making the interception, but it was kind of ugly. I don't think Zach Wilson played that that good in this game, really. So Jets fans, come at me. Um, I'm sure it'll end up happening a lot here. And, you know, this game was 20 to 10. Pittsburgh winning with around 13 minutes left to go. They had an 87% win probability at that point in time. So it's pretty high to blow. Um the the Jets needed a fourth and seven conversion to Corey Davis, some other big conversions. So, you know, Zach Wilson had a good drive, but, you know, he did this sometimes last year where he'd have a good drive, a good half, maybe a good quarter, 
but very uneven game against a Steelers defense that's not generating a lot of pressure defensively ever since TJ Watt went down. All right, let's talk Kenny Pickett because Kenny Pickett looked good. I mean, some of this is is heavily influenced by his rushing scores, but Pickett had 0.4 EPA per play despite the interceptions. You know, he had the three interceptions and we didn't rate any of them as being turnover worthy plays. I think the one to Fryermuth where he threw it a bit high and it went through Fryermuth's hands and then went up and was interception. That one you could probably give him a real turnover worthy play on. Um, but the others, you know, the Hail Mary doesn't really count and, and things like that there. I'm glad they turned to Pickett um, after they really only scored three points in the first half. I know technically they had six points in the first half for the Steelers because they got that last second field goal, but that was caused by a uh, dumb um, roughing the passer penalty on the Jets, which pushed them, put them into field goal position. And um, even the first pick from, from Kenny Pickett. Now I don't necessarily love it because it was on first and 10. He threw the ball up to chase Claypool. The ball was tipped and then intercepted. I still like though, just giving your guy a chance. Claypool is actually sneaky, bad uh, contested catch guy for such a big receiver. Um, but I, I just like pushing the ball down the field and trying to be exciting there for Kenny Pickett. And maybe we have George Pickens will come alive here. Uh, even though Pickens had 30 yards in the first half with Trubisky, not bad. 71 yards in the second half with Pickett. So that was good there. Uh, let me see. Also, our grading is it liked Pickett better in this one, about a 78 grade for Pickett versus 65 for Wilson. So more reasons for everyone with the Jets to hate PFF. We still give the Jets only a 13% chance of, of making the playoffs despite being two and two. And the Steelers are at 15% right now. So, you know, not great for either team, but I'm pretty excited about Pickett going forward. I'm glad they made this move. I don't know if it mattered so much in this game, but you know, they had the 10 day window to get him prepared and give him all the first team reps and do all that stuff. I, I don't really understand like turning away from Trubisky after the first half when we know who Trubisky is, despite the fact that he had one decent game last week all right let's get to the tennessee titans visiting the indianapolis colts after back-to-back 20-yard plays it's derrick henry making a cut inside the five and in for the touchdown derrick henry the return of the mac um actually i don't think he goes by mac but uh, derrick henry is back folks I think he looked pretty good these first couple of games, but he was not producing nearly that well other than the first half last week. I don't think he had over 50 yards in any half of football. Today, 188 yards on 22 carries plus a touchdown and 33 receiving yards. I don't know how much longer they're going to keep doing this throw the ball to Derrick Henry thing because he had two egregious drops in this game, but they're doing it. And uh, fantasy players will take it. And this was you know, very much the Derrick Henry game because Ryan Tannehill, while playing pretty well. I think he had a rushing touchdown in this one, only 137 yards passing. They didn't need to pass. They're up 24, three at halftime, even though the game was close, it ended up being 24 to 17. The Titans win. They were within a touchdown for a while there. The Colts had the ball within a touchdown. It still felt somewhat comfortable for the Titans in this game. And they ended up four-point underdogs. Now, when they were at three and a half, this very podcast did tell you that was our play of the week. So we're going to give ourselves some credit there with a win 
on our favorite play, Tennessee plus three and a half. Encouraging stuff, maybe for the Colts in some ways. If you want to, you know, pick up some things that could be encouraging, is that Matt Ryan didn't look washed in this game. Well, maybe I don't know if he did look washed or not, but he wasn't bad. He outplayed Tanhill by the numbers significantly. Um, some of it was some big plays that maybe are not replicable, but they happened in this game. Uh, they had about the same grade at 71, so a respectable grade for Matt Ryan here. But, that, man, they just could not run the ball at all in this game. Jonathan Taylor, 42 yards on 20 carries, plus he had a back-breaking fumble. Uh, it was third and one. They were down seven points. They were at the Tennessee 22-yard line with nine minutes to go, and he fumbled on third and one, which essentially – you know, didn't seal the game because I think they had another chance later on, but kind of sealed the game on this one. Uh, second percentile running game for the Colts. <sighs> not not good at all. Oh, I forgot the adjusted score on this one. 30-23 Tennessee. So a bit higher for both teams, but again, seven points here. Um, it was bad game management that did not even want to talk game management really quickly. Tannehill decided to run the ball rather than just throw it away at third down near the end. The clock ran out and they didn't get a field goal attempt where they were well within field goal range. All right, let's get to what are they looking at going forward now here? Tennessee, 62% chance to make the playoffs despite having some struggles earlier this year. Got a 50% chance to win the division and Indianapolis is at 35% to make the playoffs, 22% to win the division. Like struggles, struggles, struggles in a low Fundamental opinion on Jacksonville is what's keeping those teams in the mix where it's those three um, having a shot. And of course, Houston completely out injury news, potential high ankle sprain on Jonathan Taylor. I saw that during the game. I have not confirmed what was said after the game about that, but that's something to watch. And the rookie Traylon Burks, who played most of the snaps again this week. So that was encouraging, Uh, but he has, what looks like an ankle sprain. We'll see exactly what it was. All I know is he left the locker room on crutches and was in a walking boot. So he'll probably be out a week or two, which is a little disappointing because he was playing a lot, even with Kyle Phillips. Um, You know, Kyle Phillips had been out and he'd been playing a lot and he'd been getting some good time there. So it's a little bit disappointing for him. All right, let's get to the next game here. And this is the Cleveland Browns going and visiting the Atlanta, the Falcons of Atlanta. Back to Huntley, inside the back, and he's in! Only fitting. First NFL touchdown for Caleb Huntley. And he gritties his way to giving the Falcons the lead. Eight carries on this drive for Caleb Huntley. 54 yards in that. Okay, again, more grittying. Gritty is dead, people. Let's move on. Move on.org. We got to get, get past the gritty here. But the, the Falcons running it up here with relative unknowns. I mean, Cordero Patterson had been killing so far this season. But then we have Caleb Huntley, as I mentioned, eight carries on that drive. In total, 10 carries, 56 yards, and a touchdown. Also, 10 carries and 84 yards for fifth round 2022 rookie Tyler Algier. Uh, Caleb Huntley was a UDFA from 2021 here. And uh, let, let's go over the bigger numbers here. Cleveland was a one-point favorite going into this one. Atlanta wins 23-20 in total. Um, the adjusted score here, 28-23 Cleveland. So five-point better 
adjusted score here for the Browns, who kind of blew this game a little bit. But I did have a lean on the Browns minus one, so we're taking we're taking the L there. I guess I take my adjusted W, but um, we're taking the L on the actual score there for having a little bit of uh, sprinkling a little bit of something on the Browns in this game. I mean, fourth percentile passing success rate for the Falcons. I mean, you just normally cannot win with that. Mariota, seven for 19. I thought Mariota would be able to do stuff in this game too. Seven for 19, 139 yards and a pick. Ooh, nasty. But 202 rushing yards as a team. Uh, But the Browns also 177 rushing yards. It's a dominant rushing uh, game on both sides. Nick Chubb continued to do Nick Chubb things. 19 carries, 118 yards and a touchdown. And I I guess there's going to be a decision critiqued here with the Browns failing on fourth down on, I guess it was the first drive. It was a pretty good drive here. They went for, I think it was fourth and three from the four yard line. Um, It was a toss up. It was a toss up sort of play. I don't think you had to go either way on this. Jacoby Brissett though, he basically threw the ball away, which I call the Derek Carr special. The throwaway on fourth down is the Derek Carr special. Although they, they could have used the Ravens could have used that for Lamar Jackson instead of the interception in the end zone, which moved the ball out. But it was a toss up play. Didn't go their way. So that was bad. Another bad interception by Jacoby at the end of the game, just like he had a bad interception at the end of the game against the Steelers. He's one of these guys who's been playing like okay, but keeps having a little bit of brain fart type of moves at the end of games sometimes, which has been which has been keeping him down here. Uh, but he only had that one turn of worthy play, but it was an ugly one at the end of the game. Um, 63 grade, though, for Brissett, which is okay. But, you know, Mariota was was horrible as far as his grading here. Not a lot to say from the receiving category because of how bad this was here. I was hoping for some big things from Drake London. He had two for 17. Uh, Kyle Pitts goes back into the witness protection program. One for 25 for him. Donovan Peoples-Jones. 71 yards receiving David Njoku had a bad fumble, but 73 yards receiving for him. And then Amari Cooper, only one catch for nine yards. Not a lot to take away from this overall, the Falcons winning games when they probably shouldn't uh, here with a couple of victories in a row. I mean, 20% chance to make the playoffs almost here. So I guess there's, there's always a chance. There's still a chance here for them. The Browns, Disappointing loss, still at about 50% chance to make the playoffs. They've had the easiest schedule year to date. They flip around to having the second hardest schedule in the NFL for the rest of the season. And I mentioned earlier that they're basically split a third, a third, a third with Baltimore and the Cincinnati Bengals for their probability of winning the division going forward. All right, let's get to the Giants and the Bears. And in six. Play action, room to room again, an easy trot into the end zone for Jones. Second rushing score of the day. Two rushing touchdowns for Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley again, killing it. 31 carries for 146 yards, 216 in the air, and those 16 yards in the air included a ridiculous reversal on like a flare-out screen pass where he probably ran for about 50 yards and ended up gaining you know, 25 on the play. Uh, Injury concerns, though, definitely here. Daniel Jones, ankle injury, had to come into the game a little bit later. He actually ran a play on third down because Tyrod Taylor got a concussion. And now they're going to London next week to play the Packers. Could be Davis Webb time 
for the Giants. Let's let's hope and pray that's not the case. But with Taylor out, potentially the whole new concussion discussion might keep him out even longer than you would think. And uh, Daniel Jones not able to move around when he's been, you know, he's been running it a lot. We, I mentioned the two rushing touchdowns in this game. It's been a big part for the Giants offense so far this year. The Bears offense looks somewhat functional. If you look, they were three-point underdogs going into this. They lose, you know, they only scored 12 points. They lose 20 to 12, but 16 points according to the adjusted score for the Bears, 27 for the Giants. I mean, Fields was okay. It wasn't, you know, 1940s style offense or more like 1920s style offense that we had seen from the Bears so far this year. But he did have a weird fumble on a play where the ball kind of slipped out of his hand when he was bringing it backwards or forwards for the pass. Six sacks on 35 dropbacks. That really needs to get fixed for him. Continuing to have just an absurd, you know, 20%-ish sack rate on everything. And, you know, both of these guys, I would say, are bottom 10 teams. But the Giants fans are going to come for me, of course, after calling them potentially the worst 2-0 team in history. Now they're 3-1, and and they have a 43% chance to make the playoffs. You know, with the Jones injury, maybe it's a little bit less than that. But we'll, we'll, we'll see what's going on. We'll see what's going on with them. Congrats to them on another victory, a victory that they had to have with the Bears uh, in at home in this game. Even with some injuries, they were able to power through that fairly easily. All right, let's go to Big D. Four-man rush. Pressure on rush. Fires. Call for the touchdown. C.D. Lamb. Okay, Cooper Rush. I I sent out a fake uh, or joke tweet where it was referencing there was this one Jim Tom Sula tweet a long time ago where he was 1-0 as the 49ers head coach where they had a graphic during the game saying highest win percentage for 49ers head coaches. And they had him at the top at one and oh, and then, you know, <laughs> Bill Walsh and uh, George Seifert and um, Steve Mariucci and everyone else there. So I put out a joke one of uh, Cooper rush now four and oh, a hundred percent win percentage as the starting quarterback here. And then I had, um, Roger Staubach and Troy Aikman and Tony Romo and Dak Prescott on there as being lower win percentage than, than Cooper Rush now. But he's he's playing okay. He's not playing bad. Um, they were three-point favorites in this game. They win 25-10. to 10. It was actually a little bit closer by the numbers. I had it 16-15. But the thing is, the success rates were low. And that's why the Dallas number is down. But they had big plays. Uh, Lamb, you know, for six catches for 97 yards. The touchdown came out there, so there were some big plays that were going on there. Not necessarily sustainable, but, you know, good passes, though. A big pass down the field to uh, Noah Brown also. We're a little stuck in the mud, though, offensively outside of that. And a big factor here, which which makes this game a lot closer, something that most people aren't going to think about, is there was almost a 15 expected point advantage for the Cowboys when it came to penalties in this one. Tons of penalties offensively and defensively for the commanders. Two interceptions were wiped out by defensive penalties. I didn't watch this one, so I don't know whether or not the defensive holding or interference. Actually, I don't think it was interference. I think it was illegal contact and defensive holding that wiped out two interceptions for Dallas were actually affected the play or whether they were off the ball. But still, 
two of those were wiped out, and that ends up making the score a little bit closer than what you might have uh, expected. We go to the numbers here for what we're looking at going forward. Dallas, 65% chance to make the playoffs despite Dak Prescott missing time. Uh, 3-1 and one now. And supposedly Prescott's going to be back next week. That is the plan. Um, if they lose that game, I think it's against the Chargers, right? So it's not a, it's not a gimme game. Well, maybe it's against the Rams. No, sorry. It's against the Rams. It's not a gimme game. Um, I just can't wait for the, uh, everyone, the first take guys, um, uh, the, the Fox sports guys, everyone's just waiting, waiting to talk about Cooper rush, bringing Cooper rush back. If, if Dallas loses that game next week, uh, 23% chance to win the division. So not bad, despite the fact that the Eagles have been playing so so well this year. Commanders, uh, they're not donezo, but it's pretty close. 15% chance to make the playoffs at this point. Carson Wentz, the rumbling starts. Um, let's get Sam Howell into the official backup spot. I didn't see whether he was active or not for this game, but he hadn't been active so far this year, and it had been Taylor, Taylor Heineke as a backup. I, I want some Sam Howell. I want some Sam Howell. Uh, action for the rest of this season let's go to the big national game of the afternoon which was the green bay packers at home against the brian hoyer and then bailey zappy led new england patriots from 31 crosby right down the middle and the hundred and one thousand people in green bay Okay, Green Bay wins in OT, 27-24. They were nine-and-a-half-point favorites, so did not come close to covering in this one, despite Brian Hoyer going down in this one. I mean, it might be a lateral move going to a fourth-round rookie in Bailey Zappi, but it, it is interesting. This one, I had New England being a point better, 24-23. Why? They had a much, much better success rate in this game, but they had these big negative plays, which maybe are somewhat sustainable. So it's probably overstated as far as those numbers are concerned, but that that's the way it goes in this one. It was also a brutal kind of inability to control this game, despite some big takeaways from the Packers. We had the pick six for the Packers. Romeo Dobbs had a fumble. Romeo Dobbs should have caught a 40-yard touchdown with two minutes left to win this game. So in reality, while my numbers say New England was slightly better, I think the Packers were probably the better team in this game, and I would have them skewed a few points in that direction. But it was close. It was about as close as the score in this one. Um, Takeaways, still got to be a little bit concerned about Green Bay offensively a little bit defensively that they weren't even better in this one. They're probably still in the top, you know, six, seven teams in the NFL, but it's a little bit tough to say at this point, but as long as they get those W's, you know, 85% chance to make the playoffs, 60% chance to win the division. And it's going to be a little bit close with Minnesota who was able to come, come away with another victory here in that division, but looking pretty good for the Packers at this point, Patriots, it's tough in that division because of the Dolphins playing well and, of course, the Bills playing well and now the Jets putting together a couple of victories. New England, 17% chance to make the playoffs, only 3% chance to win the division at this point. Let's go to Las Vegas where the Denver Broncos come to town. Russell Wilson coming to town with all of his weird memes and everything else into Vegas. First and 10, Melvin Gordon. Oh, he fumbled again! He fumbled again! Robertson's got it! And he's got it on 
Hodge by midfield. Got a block by Hodge. And there he goes. He's got six. On the fumble by Gordon. Oh, Melvin Gordon with the fumble here. Javante Williams gets injured in this game. We'll end up seeing what happens with that going forward. Uh, Vegas comes out with the victory. Uh, the final numbers here are, well, first of all, Vegas was a two and a half point favorite. kind of might've been seen as being somewhat insulting to the Broncos to be uh, an underdog like that, but they, they win the game. The Raiders win the game 32 to 23, 32, 18 is the adjusted score here. 85th percentile success rate for the Raiders versus only 28th for Denver. We're in, we're in panic mode. Now we're, we're hitting like DEFCON four. If five is bad, DEFCON four, I would say, for the uh, Broncos after this one. Because now the Broncos, even if you think they're like a top half team in the NFL, which they may be, we're down to, you know, well under 50% chance of making the playoffs at this point, about a 10% chance to win the division. They're lucky that the Chargers lost that, uh, lost a couple of games here to give them a chance to kind of stick around a bit here. KC winning, not good for them. And, you know, now the Raiders get off for the Schneid and get their first victory. And believe it or not, 25% chance to make the playoffs. If they can bring some stuff together here, who, who knows what can happen for Carr and for the Raiders in this game. A little bit more of a struggle session here for Russell Wilson and that passing offense. You have to hope they're going to get things together, but the rumblings have to be pretty strong when we think about the trade compensation here um, and everything else that was given for Wilson. He actually had a great grade in this game. He only had 237 yards, but he's going to have about a 90 grade because he had a bunch of big-time throws in this one. Yeah, the fumbles were killers, were absolute killers for uh, for Melvin Gordon, especially the fumble six that we documented there. Josh Jacobs, 143 yards on 28 carries. Really good job there for him. And Devontae Adams is back, 102 yards on nine catches. And the ball was kind of just spread out for the Broncos. But it's one of these, like, it's amazing how low we have these passing totals in a lot of these games. This one, we're only getting up to about 415, you know, 20 passing yards in total between these two teams. We're just not seeing a lot this year for anyone. All right, let's get through the last couple of games here. We're going to go to... Carolina with the Arizona Cardinals coming to visit. To a third-string quarterback. And now Murray to the end zone. Brown, touchdown! The Cardinals come away with the victory in Carolina as one-point underdogs. Oh, they were one-point underdogs, yet they win 26 to 16. Let's hit it for me. That was my other of my stronger play here with the take Arizona in this game. That was the non, maybe the most nonsensical line of the game when Carolina has been, you know, one of the worst teams in the NFL, especially offensively in this game. Um, the adjusted score here, 24, 21 Arizona. So a little bit closer, 84% success rate, 84th percentile, excuse me, success rate for the Cardinals versus only 40th, which is actually not bad for the Panthers, but sixth percentile in EPA per play. Couldn't throw the ball. Couldn't run the ball very well. You know, interceptions three of 13 on late down conversions, 
They're just awful there. Just bad, bad, bad across the board here for Carolina. Matt Rule, will he survive? I don't know. I figure like maybe he's maybe he's already been fired while I'm taping this. He's got to go. The seat is so hot. It's burning hot there. They are, for all intents and purposes, eliminated from the playoffs, a 5% chance to make the playoffs here. Cardinals saving their season a bit here, up to a 50-50 chance to, to make the playoffs, which is great for them after struggling to start. I mean, you'd like to see even a more dominant victory here, but they will take it. Uh, Baker Mayfield, 197 yards passing, two picks, continues to struggle a ton. Murray, not a whole lot better, 207 yards, but he did have that nice pass to uh, his, you know, the shower narrative, uh, Marquise Brown from their Oklahoma days. And then he actually, you know, ran the ball some, which was appreciated here. 26 yards is not a ton, but still got a touchdown uh, near the goal line there. And just, just struggle session, struggle session for the Panthers offensively across the board. Matt Rule. His days are extremely numbered. All right, let's get to our last game of the day, and that will be the Houston Texans coming to L.A. to face the Chargers. Eckler wide open. Inside the five. Touchdown, Chargers. 14 yards. This time a receiving TD. Yes, three touchdowns for Austin Eckler. So another one of the big fantasy backs come to play here. If you drafted Austin Eckler, I don't know, fifth, sixth, seventh overall where he was, you are happy that you're finally, finally getting some production here. We have, you know, it wasn't like the most dominant victory, I would say, for the Chargers in this one, but they didn't really need it to be that dominant. They win 34 to 24. They were five and a half point favorites. So they covered the spread pretty easily there. The adjusted score is pretty close 23 to 20. And that's because the Chargers success rate offensively was way down, but they had these big, big plays from Austin Eckler in the running game. In fact, their, um, their EPA per play in the running game was about 60th percentile, which is pretty good. Pretty good for a running game that had been struggling a bit. On the flip side, Damian Pierce and the running game for the Houston Texans was in the 90th something percentile. So they were almost off of the charts for how well that they were performing this year. If you look at what went on there, Pierce had 14 carries for 131 yards, 100 of those yards after contact, plus a touchdown here. So 9.4 yards per carry will get it done Concerning for the Chargers defense, that was the worst in the NFL against the run last year and has had some struggles already this year. Um, Not a whole lot to talk about from a passing perspective here. Herbert had one of those games where he had the 340 yards, but maybe it wasn't super impressive because he had uh, only one big time throw. He had a turnover the play in this game, too. But he did have the 340 yards, 8.7 yards per attempt will get it done. Davis Mills, slightly better passing grade than Herbert in this game, which is a little bit surprising. One of the reasons that the score is a bit closer than you would expect. Let's just go ahead and get to the, you know, they're just checking this one off for the Chargers here as a game they would expect to win up to 42% chance to make the playoffs, 13% chance to win the division. Fifth hardest schedule going forward after having a relatively easy schedule so far for the, the Chargers. Herbert getting healthier each week. They definitely can make a run, but they're not in the best position right here. 
Uh, Houston, the lowest percent chance to make the playoffs of anyone at only 3%. They're basically done for the season. But good to see Damian Pierce pile up. The guy's question for Pierce may be like, what sort of numbers are you going to need from this guy to have a chance for Offensive Rookie of the Year with London struggling somewhat this week. Olave was decent so far this week. Maybe the fourth-round rookie on potentially the worst team in the NFL and the Houston Texans can actually make a run for Offensive Rookie of the Year, and that's something to pay attention to going forward. All right, that's it for me, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you like the new format with the clips on here for audio and video for those watching on YouTube. Go ahead, leave a thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube for me, if you enjoyed what you heard. Otherwise, I'll be coming at you guys tomorrow morning, reviewing Monday Night Football and also getting into a preview for Thursday night. Um, Rate, review the pod if you enjoy it. And I'll post all the adjusted scores in the YouTube section and then also tweet out all the adjusted scores for fans to yell at me at. Otherwise, I'll be talking at everyone Tomorrow, thanks so much for tuning in.